0: Hello, my name is Blaze Bowen. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament
1: right here on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim River Owens. Yes. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Dan Lorenzo from Hades, Nonfiction, The Cursed, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for
0: Fall of Guns and Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Wendorf from Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
0: Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Cranking.
0: Hey, everybody, this is your big radio Gene Hogan, who has played with
1: your favorite metal band and you are listening to Mars Attacks Radio. This is Kurt Winston from Crowbar, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
0: Life was there
2: Welcome, one and all, to episode 39 of the Mars Attacks Podcast. I am your host, Victor. And during this episode, we have an extra special interview with Kirk Weinstein from Crowbar, Down, and Kingdom of Sorrow. And uh, Kirk was very cool, uh, spoke to me about pretty much everything that I asked him about. Uh, actually tweeted about it. Uh, at the time, I still had... Privileges with the guys from Talking Metal to tweet via their account. Apparently, there was some sort of mix-up. People thought that uh, that they had tweeted that I'd said something to the effect of just conducted one of my, one of the best interviews ever with Kirk. And um, I don't know. There there were some some sort of weirdness there. Still love the guys over there, at Talking Metal. Um, Again, I've always mentioned this. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be podcasting. I wouldn't have a fraction of the people that listen to what I do, so I can't bitch or complain about it. Just thought it was interesting that that took place. And again, no hard feelings on on my side, and I definitely appreciate everything that, that they've done for me. Um, with regards to Kirk, though, uh, we talk about, me seeing them on what ended up being their first national tour, them opening up for Sacred Reich and Souls at Zero. Uh, we discussed Down. We discussed Jamie Jostin, of course, his connection to Kirk with uh, Kingdom of Sorrow. And um, the the one thing that, um, I don't know if bums me out, is, is the right word here. Um, we started up this classic albums column, if you've missed out on it. It's uh, so far what we've done is we've touched on Metallica's and Justice for All last month. This month we featured Prongs, Cleansing, and what we have are comments, written comments from people that I reached out to uh, to obtain their comments, and it's all in written form. And we also have a corresponding podcast, which the initial podcast has Charlie Benante from Anthrax, Mark Striegel from Talking Metal, and a legendary drummer, Gene Gene Hoagland, excuse me. The second episode with Prong, we actually have an interview with Ted Parson, Prong's original drummer and drummer for Cleansing, plus, uh, oh, actually, I should say that that's written up on the website. We have an actual audio interview in a podcast form with Tommy Victor and, again, with Gene Hoagland regarding that album. And when I did this interview... Uh, actually, I should say that this interview has been edited the least amount of times possible. Uh, there's one point where I think I interrupted him. Um, it's funny thing over the internet where you have delays and things, and you, you sometimes can't hear when somebody starts speaking or when the other person finishes. So I cut that out. But anyway, uh, every, there's everything in there because there's a specific shout-out to a band here in Spain that I wanted to leave in. Uh, during the interview that actually comes up after the IDs. So you hear me ask him to do the IDs and stuff that I typically cut out, but that's there. Uh, what I did cut out was talking to him about participating in the classic albums column. He agreed to do it. Uh, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because I've reached out to him on a few occasions, haven't heard back. And last time I tried his uh, email account bounce back my message so you get the good old wah 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 (laughs) when um when i receive that but uh you know what can you do he's a busy man and i just appreciate that he did take the time out to conduct this interview with me and again it is one of my favorite interviews that i've done so uh in any event If you're interested in checking out those classic album columns, just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. You can check that out. You can check out any of the other podcasts that we've done previously, reviews. We've started doing weekly reviews, and this week, uh, no different. Actually, this week, we may have several reviews up there, but um, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of different albums, Uh, had some free time this week, and That's sort of what I did, so I've written a bunch of things up. A lot of great new uh, songs out there, great new albums, I should say. Some mediocre stuff and some alright stuff, some disappointments as well. But uh, we'll touch on a few of those things. Just come back to the site, MarsAttacksRadio.com, and you'll see more of that. Sign up for the Twitter account as well. There's links to that. And, uh, you know, the MySpace and Facebook, yeah, that's probably going to end up going away, but what can you do? Hardly anyone goes to either of those and sort of can't blame them. Um, You can also subscribe to this on iTunes. If you'd like, just look up Mars Attacks Podcast right there on iTunes. Find it, subscribe, and leave a comment if you'd like. You can send me your comments if you'd like as well. You can send that to input at marsattacksradio.com. In any event, We're going to jump into the interview in a second. Just want to play a crowbar track, a classic crowbar track, which is one of my favorite tracks to come out in the decade of the 90s. If you're from the New York Tri-State area, like myself, you're familiar with WSOU. WSOU has always played this track. It's one of my favorite tracks by the band. And again, it is one of my favorite tracks from the decade of the 90s. It comes from Oddfellows Rest, and the track is Planets Collide by Crowbar. After this, we'll jump right into the interview with Kirk. <laughs> Hand seems to be very focused and aggressive. Um, did you purposely set out to do that with this album or did that just organically come about?
1: Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I just want to make the best band Cobalt we can make, you know, uh, and really, you know, spent, spent my time and we, we spent our time, you know, working on it uh, and making sure we just knew how that it was just was a make or break it, record for the band. Right. Um, you know, there's been a lot of re-in- you know, interest in in, in in, us and in a lot of the older bands, actually, that have been around for a while. It's kind of like coming back full circle. You know, we're getting a lot of younger fans and whatnot. And we're like, right. you know, we're, we're getting interest from these younger kids and all, man. We need to make make the best fucking record we can make. So really, we're just, you know, a complete focused, you know, thing on, on trying to write the best record we can make, man.
2: Right. And how surprised were you that the album was your biggest first week selling album that you've ever put out.
1: It's kind of ironic, especially since nobody buys records anymore that, you know, it was our first, our best first week sales ever. You know, I mean, it's a good thing. We actually made the billboard top 200 in the States, which is a major, major thing, you know, very, very proud of it. Very excited. So that that just shows, that shows, man. I mean, the the new label is really doing a hell of a job with press and promotion. And, you know, they really have, have I can't say enough about how, how good of a job they've done, honestly. Um, we've never had this in the past, you know, so it, it, it's 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 nice. And, uh, you know, that that along with uh, this sudden interest in, in crowbars, I think really is a is reason for us, you know, doing so well out the box like that.
2: Right, okay. And there was a six-year gap between the past album, or the previous album, I should say, and this album. Uh, how much of that time was dedicated to writing the new material?
1: Um, not much of it, really. 90% of the stuff was written in 2010, and really about half of it was written in the month of August, right before we entered the studio. <laughs> I'd gotten back from to all with down and booked the studio time and had to gain, you know... I just I was writing you know two songs a day, and uh, you know just really refining them and going over and over and over again with it and just really you know making it happen and then you know uh, and what what I could do really like none of the lyrics or vocal ideas or anything melodies are even there when the guitar riffs are written I could do the guitar riffs and then refine them with the guys let them put their own you know their own touch on it as well and then um when we get in the studio obviously it's time time to have fun and be creative because i don't know what the fuck i'm gonna be doing vocally so <laughs> right that, that that brings a lot of fun into it and also all you know we crowbar do a shitload of guitar harmonies and none of that stuff's really worked out till we get in the studio either so we kind of we kind of just um you know crank out the, the basic tracks to it and then build from there and then that that's my favorite part of it is the, cre- the creativity you know like actually just watching watching, and, and, and hearing the whole thing unfold, you know, and then, right. you know, you leave, you leave that night and you have this complete piece of work that, that wasn't there, you know, in the morning. So it's kind of, that's where I get my real enjoyment from as far as the writing and, and recording.
2: Cool. So there's, I mean, basically you start out with a, a small seed per se and throughout the day it grows. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, based on your reaction, I'm assuming that, some of these songs really surprise you when you see the finished product when you're done recording them.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they do, I think they surprise the other guys a little more than me because I, I hear it all in my head, you know, I, like I have like this, like, you know, I'll show them like something simple. i be like, trust me, trust me, it's going to be killer, you know, and then once we get <laughs> in and I'm able to do, all, you know, the extra layers and stuff and whatever, and then when the you know vocals come into play and everything, you know, um, it, 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 it you know, it's killer, you know, but uh, it, it does surprise me. I mean, in a positive way, thankfully. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's the beauty of it. Man. That's why I like, like uh, writing so much.
2: Gotcha. Okay. And you chose to produce the album. Was it a case that uh, you felt no one else could maybe share your vision of what this album could be? Or... Uh, was there other people that were considered, but you just decided you were better off doing it yourself? Um,
1: <clears throat> I think I just decided that I was better off doing it myself. Um, you know, I mean, it's a lot of times it's a positive thing to have an outside producer. I mean, we, you know, Phil's produced you know stuff for Crowbar in the past, and it's been it's been great. Um, you know, a lot of times it, it's not a good idea. It just depends on the situation. But for me me personally, you know, um, I, it, you know, I, I, I had to, I had to have my hands on every single aspect of this record, you know, really. Was just, to me, it, it was a, it was a must. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of why I chose to do it myself.
2: Okay. And did you set out to do anything in the studio that you hadn't done in the past with previous albums?
1: Not really, recording wise, no. Um, Recording-wise, I mean, uh, everything was pretty much the same, and you know, it, it was it was a lot better, a um, lot better um, to you, to to do it sober. You know, I'll tell you that, and that helped quite. You know, no problem. That helped quite quite a bit. You know, uh, recording everything sober was was a big plus, plus. and I made made my work. You know, I was able to take on a much heavier workload. You know. I wasn't having to sleep off uh, hangovers and shit, so it really helped, you know. No, I was just going to say, you know, um, it it, it really did unfold. It was really a a pretty smooth record to make. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves intentionally because we knew how important this record was, but it really did unfold pretty smoothly.
2: Okay, and how long did it take the entire recording process? Um. What we
1: did is took our sweet time. Basically, uh, we did it on the evenings and weekends. We, we began August twenty eighth, and I think we finished up around October twelfth. Um, like hour wise, it didn't take that long. Like in the past, I'm I'm used to working from noon till midnight, seven days a week until it's done. Yeah, right. you know, just living breathing the record, and that's that's a, that's it. It's done. It's a wrap. But um, with this, uh, you know, we kind of took a a more relaxed approach, and it was great, you know, it really was, it worked out, worked out. It kind of got on my nerves, because I, I, I wanted to hurry up and, you know, and, and hear what it was going to sound like, or hurry up and be there and do it, you know, but I think all in all it was a good approach to take for this record.
2: Okay, and how does working with Down and Kingdom of Sorrow influence how you moved forward and made this album?
1: Um. It didn't necessarily influence it. It's just a situation of, you know, like I always say, when you surround yourself with talented people, um, you know, it, it can only help. So I mean, I work with, with very talented people in Down. Obviously, I work with with Jamie and the guys in Kingdom, who are very talented in their own right, of course. So it you know, it's it just becomes a natural thing. It just becomes you know, it, it rubs off on you, and you pick up you pick up things here and there from from being around, you know, being around talented people, you know I mean? That's, you know, that that's kind of, kind of what I, what I've gotten over the years is just having, having, you know, working with Phil, um, so much for so many years, you know, and, you know, now working with Jimmy and all, and, and all the guys in town really, but, uh, just being around talented, it can't, it can't do anything but help you, you know?
2: Gotcha. Okay. And you have a very distinct voice, uh, which you add to Crowbar. Um, this is maybe touching a little bit upon the last question that I asked, but um, working with Jamie and Phil, did that specifically make you do anything voice-wise or just more or less along the lines of what you already answered, that just working with great musicians just makes just you get work... better overall?
1: Well, I mean, Phil, Phil told me quite a bit
2: um you
1: know early on though in my in my career, I mean so we've known each other for fucking well, I don't even know you know whatever twenty <laughs> right. 10, thirty years something, you know it's been a long time, so um you know and he's obviously you know one, you know one of the right. best out there, So right now he's the best out there um you know okay i mean but he you know to me you know it it he has himself out quite a bit in the past with that now um you know I think really more more or less so. Uh, it's just a situation of um, you know take, taking things from from uh, from talented people, you know, like like I mean with, with Jamie vocally, um, I mean I would say I'm probably I have a, a more well-rounded style and vocal range, so I think okay. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm almost um, not not to pat my own back, but I think I've probably it's probably the reverse where I've kind of helped him. A little bit with his voice and getting more confidence in his voice, and he's branching out on Kingdom of Sorrow stuff and doing stuff different than what he was doing on Kingdom. But with Phil, it's like obviously he's you know the best the best singer of the, of the three of us for sure. So you know I, I mean, he's he's taught me a lot and helped me out quite a bit, man.
2: Okay, and and that was actually something I was gonna. Point out with Jamie once you mention that with Kingdom he does really go beyond anything that he's done in Hatebreed, which is really cool to no, hear on his end.
1: Yeah, I, I completely. Agree. He was kind of nervous about it. And I'm like, dude, you can, you know, you can do it. You know? just give it, a, give it a he, he The thing is, he's never really, he never tried before Kingdom of the Fire, I don't think to really do anything other than his Hatebreed style. So yeah. now he's getting more confident and he's, and he's branching out. His writing style is really being more diverse, you know, as well. And it's really a cool thing.
2: Very cool. Yeah. And, you know, being someone that, you know, has been on TV and I've seen them in concert and just hearing things that he says on stage, he's very knowledgeable with music. And it's cool that, you know, on the one hand, hearing you say that, you know, he was almost shy about trying to go beyond what he had done. But at the same time, you know, someone with so much knowledge it's odd that he hadn't done it sooner you know well i think it's just because he really hadn't uh, you know i mean i'm not speaking for jamie but i, I, I right. think it's mainly because i
1: mean basically he's been in hate breed which are the absolute epitome of a true you know hardcore band, and there's, there's basically yeah. one vocal style you know yeah. i mean now it's, that was the whole the whole beauty of kingdom of sorrow and especially with the second record and even the stuff that that's being written now, and the ideas that we have, is just continually branching out. Now he's got he's got some solo project that that he's he's doing as well, and I'm sure that that's going to be a branch out too. But I think it's more or less, you know, like from the time Hatebreed hit hit the hit the record stores and stages of the world, you know, he's been doing that nonstop. So you know, I think then he finally had a chance to. Take a little time off and and do a side project and and really that's what he wanted to do with Kingdom of and Say, look, I have songs that I've written that I can't use for Heat breed. Let's you know, let's you know, let's work together on this and it worked you know worked out great, man.
2: Cool. Um, with regards to your gear, how does it vary from each of the bands? Does it stay the same or do you uh, switch gear depending upon the situation?
1: I'm um, really my I use. So, Kingdom and Crowbar I use the same exact setup for down. It's extremely different. Um, uh, Kingdom, Kingdom Sound and Crowbar, tune the same, and you know, I basically have the same tone on on the records of both bands. Down tunes a lot higher um, than uh, than Crowbar and Kingdom, and uh, I go for I, I use orange uh, orange amplifiers um, for down. Um, really, because I mean, all we're trying to do is recreate all we're trying to do is make a modern sounding version of the seventies, you know, late sixties and seventies rock that influenced us. So, I mean, we don't, we don't want, we don't want the guitar to sound like, um, you know, Slayer or whatever. We, we we want it to sound like Thin Lizzy, you know, we want it to sound like Black Sabbath. So we kind of go, you know, with that, we go a lot more stripped down, a lot more effects. Like I don't use any effects with Crowbar really or Kingdom, but a lot more effects and stuff on the soul. You know, I don't do any solos in Crowbar and Kingdom really. So, you know, we just kind of go back. It's a totally di- approaching the two, the, the two worlds like the crowbar came out of the down world as a guitarist and as a writer are two completely different things. But that's the beauty of it. If you're going to be in side bands and or in multiple bands, why, why do <laughs> you know, like three bands that all sound exactly the same? You know?
2: Yeah. That
1: I mean, makes no uh, sense, really. You know.
2: You're a hundred percent on it. There, you see a lot of people that do that. You know, they they go outside and have a side project and and it's almost as if it's leftover material from their main band as opposed to doing something completely different.
1: Right, right. I mean, and that's... I mean, it's something wrong with it, you know, but I mean, right. I think... You know, I mean, I mean, it's it's easy for me to say, too, because in Crowbar, I mean, I'm, you know, the main... I do all all the vocals, all, all the lyrics, and, you know, and, you know, 90% of the of the guitarists, whatever, and, and producing, or whatever, so that's my vision. I don't really need... An outlet from from that, but you know, and other guys that are in bands, you know, like like if my only band was down, I would have to do something else because I'm only one, you know, one fifth of it, you know, writing wise right. and, and everything else. And, um, I mean, in the end, I mean, you know, Phil usually gets gets his way, but it's not. It's a good. It's a good thing because he's right. You know, he's very. He's extremely talented. He's a great arranger. He's a, he's got great ideas. You know, and it's like you know. I mean, I'm, we we rarely, you know, like butt heads on stuff with Down. You know, Phil says, "No, I want to try this." Even at first, it might be a little weird to me. But when I start really, you know, when I do analyze it and listen back to what he's talking about and all that, and he's right almost all the time. So, you know, can't <laughs> complain about that.
2: <laughs> How difficult is it for Down um, after putting out such a monumental and classic first album? When you guys write, do you have to look back to that first album, or does that not even phase you guys when you start putting new material together?
1: You know what, it, it didn't phase us at all on Down 2 or on Over the Under. I mean, now, I think we're going... We, what we wanted to do, Down... No, no one was a diverse record, but Down Down 2 was much more diverse, Um which kind of you know, some people didn't didn't quite get as much, but we we never wanted to allow ourselves to be pigeonholed. If we wanted to do acoustic stuff in Down, we wanna be able to do it. If we wanted to do mellow, bluesy, you know, minor key blues stuff, we wanna be able to do it. It doesn't all have to be, you know, cranked up, you know, stacks and and, and, and heavy, you know, seventies rock riffs. So I mean right. we wanted to we wanted to introduce a lot of different elements to the to Down sound so that we would not be pigeonholed. And, and, you know, I think we've done enough of that now that we're kind of gone. Right now, our attitude with writing, because we are currently writing stuff, is just going back to what got us rolling in the first place, man. And the, the bands, you know, the bands that, that influence us, listening to those bands again. Um, I mean, I, we're on tour right now with, with St. Vitus, who are a big influence on that. And, you know, right. seeing those guys every, every night is like, you know, just wow. You know, it's inspiring me you to know, to write down risk 'cause because that's you know that was one of our influences, man. But you know, just stuff like that, just going back, you know, and and not overthinking it, not overanalyzing it, just because right. those those first those that first down record just flowed out of out of us. It was a joke. We just got together in a room, boom, we jammed for two days and a half, you know, you know I mean, we wrote Temptations' wings, losing all, and bury me in smoke in like a couple of hours one you know one Saturday afternoon, you know. And it's like, those are standards in the set every night. You know, those are are classics. So we started to overthink it, I think. You know, then you bring in, you know, management and big record companies and this and that, no fuck. And it's like, you know what, fuck all that. We should go back to the music that we love and listen to that.
2: Right, I got you. Um, Speaking of trying to live up or not live up to things, the first time I ever heard of Crowbar, I was back in college radio, and I heard your version of Led Zeppelin's No Quarter. Um how daunting was it to cover that song? Was it, you know, an issue where you felt you had to live up to the original or was there no pressure on you at all when you recorded that?
1: Well I mean you're not you're not gonna outdo uh Zeppelin, you know? <laughs> um, right. and you know that's one of John Paul Jones, you know, it's just one of his standouts and he's he's, you know, highly Underrated, if that's possible, you know. I mean, Page and Plant get all the publicity, and you know, God rest John Bonham, I and mean, he does get his his what he earns as a drummer. But you know, to me, John Paul Jones is like the secret weapon of that band. His bass playing yep. is unbelievable. <laughs> and when when he did, you know, uh, you know, I just think that there's no way. I mean, to me, if I'm gonna when I cover a song, if I'm gonna, if I'm doing a cover version or playing it live, I and mean, if I'm gonna play a Sabbath song or something on stage. You know, we're just going to have fun and do, do some covers. That's fine. You know, I mean, it's going to sound heavy. It's going to sound as you know, much as we can make it sound like Sabbath. But if you're going to really record a song, uh, you know, I mean, to me, our, our version of No Quarter couldn't be any more opposite from the original. And that was right. the intention. It was to take that song which already you know, a masterpiece and then just say, hey, man, let me make it my own. And hopefully people won't shoot me. know <laughs> <laughs>
2: And that's, I think, the beauty of that song is that it does sound so different that it's almost a classic onto itself, you know, where it doesn't... You see so many bands that try to sound like the original and fall very flat, and this is so oh, different. I
1: mean, if we would have brought in keyboards and, you know, really tried to do it just like, you know... I didn't. I just sat down and fucked with it for, like, fucking, you know, literally, like, two minutes. I just kind of figured out the with with the, the the basic, you know, root chords to the bridge and what the chorus were and then kind of made up, you know, my own little version of the, nah, 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 the little uh, keyboard part. And right. that was it. And then I just put it away. I, I already knew all the lyrics in my head from listening to it a million times as a kid. So right. <laughs> you know, I just <clears throat> excuse me, Ben i you know, with this chest chest cold. But, uh, no problem. Yeah, I, I kind of just you know did that and it just ended up thankfully coming out
2: good. Cool. And I was actually lucky enough to see you on that tour with Sacred Reich and Souls at Zero. I saw you guys. Oh wow. in, in Newark, New Jersey. And um, oh god, I remember that shit all. <laughs> Studio One. Upstairs. Upstairs. Yep. Upstairs. Yeah. Known as uh, Studio Scum by all the locals. So.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, we, we we were. That was my first time up in that area. I actually made it to Europe before I ever did up up into New York. You know, into the area up there, huh. in the Northeast. So we, we were warned by the locals and other guys that you know. I mean, obviously, Cigarette and the guys in Souls of Zero used to be in Child so they were ex- right. experienced, and we were the new kids. Uh, But, you know, we were warned it was going to be a studio scum, or it wasn't.
2: Do you have any other memories from that tour at all? Because was that um, your first national tour or one of your first national tours? That was our first
1: real tour, uh, you know, as a support band. I mean, we had done a couple of short runs with Pantera, like on, you know, like maybe like 10 show kind of runs. Uh, right. on, when they were touring with Cobb Arts Still, you know, before when they were just getting out of the bigger clubs and into the smaller theaters, you know, they they hadn't hit big yet. But the uh, Sacred Reich was the first real one, and then we were lucky enough to go support Paradise Lost in Europe,
0: which was mm-hmm.
1: great. And, uh, you know, and then from there, supporting Pantera back in the States on a real, you know, we, we were the support band for them on, uh, like, the day uh, I driven came out, you know, Pantera on the road. Oh. It was just Pantera and Crowbar. So we were very fortunate with
2: that, you know. Wow. Awesome. Um, as far as uh, you touched upon, you know, Zeppelin and things like that, what was the first band that you listened to that made you want to pick up a guitar or sing?
1: I've always wanted to play music. Um, Really, my first, like, kind of, if you want to call it, my first real rock record was probably BTO, Not Fragile. Um, okay. And, you know, like, I mean, in, like, third and fourth grade, you know, I loved BTO. I think I found Kiss around fifth, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade. My, my whole world became Kiss. And then, of course, see, I, I was, I have a younger sister. I did not remember any older brothers. All the guys in the neighborhood that are older brothers, they turned me on to, like, the Pink Floyds and the Zeppelins and the fucking you know, Johnny Winter and Leonard Skinners and, and all of that stuff. You know, I'm out here to a couple of hits on the radio, but all uh, their older brothers, like, you know, during the summer, their brothers would have summer jobs and we were still kids and too young to really work. So they, their brothers would be like, look, y'all can, y'all can listen to our record collection, but y'all scratch anything or kick your ass. So they, you know, <laughs> we, and my, a couple of friends of mine had, one guy was my age, his his brother, that I was friends with, was one year older than me. Then they had four older brothers I mean, guys, you know, up in their 20s. So, I mean, these motherfuckers had shit back from, you know, from the mid-60s on up. So, I mean, that's how we discovered, you know, the the Who and the Beatles and and the Stones and and whatnot, you know. So, I had the pleasure of having having that collection at my disposal when I was a kid.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Um, With Crowbar, if you were able to put a three-band package together and throw a current band in there, and a band from the past that no longer exists, what two bands would you choose?
1: Um, I mean, really, man, right now, this thing with, you know, we're, we're on a big package, but we have, you know, we do have Cobra and St. Vitus, um, you know, on the package together. In fact, we're sharing a bus with them. You know, we're good friends with the guys, and they're great. I mean, I think I think our package works out great. They were a big influence on us, even though we don't sound anything alike. You know, right. there's enough similarities man i mean this is is really is really going going well with Fire. Now, as far as a band that would not exist, now would Cobar have to be the headliner or can we just be two bands I'd want to tour with
2: any any two bands you'd want to tour with um well I'm, I'm on tour
1: say Vi so i won't I won't use them because I'm doing it but uh <laughs> i would say uh you know if we could do if we could do a tour. With the original Trouble, okay, I think that that would be amazing, and if uh, if we could open up and then Trouble come on and then um, the Jailbreak era Thin Lizzy uh, <laughs> could headline, wow. I think that I would would be a happy happy camera.
2: <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, the the usual response I get there is Led Zeppelin or Pantera, so it's awesome to hear somebody bring someone like Thin Lizzy into the equation.
1: Cool. Yeah, actually, it's Thin Lizzy day around, and we're all laughing. Like three or four of us on the bus, and got Thin Lizzy shirts on today. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're huge, huge fans. I just think they're not underrated, but underappreciated, you know. And starting starting to get there, you know, people are starting to go back and see it. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Phil so Lynott's been dead for twenty five years, but right, you know, hey, you know he's getting I mean, he's getting at least he's getting boys back in town on fucking, you know. Chevy car commercials and whatnot, so uh you know, right. getting get there now, took, to, unfortunately, the guy had to pass away and had to take that long for people to realize how great the band is, but, you know, it is, right. it, it is.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably why I sort of don't mind that some of the former members are still going out there and, and playing. Really yeah, because it, it keeps the band alive, I mean, it keeps the, the music alive, and I mean, they've Stressed over and over again that they're doing it in the memory of Phil and Absolutely. I just yeah I I find it odd that people still think oh you know they're doing it for the money they're doing it for this I mean those guys have probably made enough money to not have to uh, you know tour ever again but you know right I no I think
1: it's I think it's great what it, they're doing it really is totally as as a tribute to the music of Phil and and Lizzie and you know I mean it's not like. Still not still alive, and he doesn't want him doing it. In there. You know, you can say yeah. that shit from some of these older bands. Like, whatever. You know, it's not one of those deals. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's uh, it's a cool thing. You know, I think it's great.
2: Cool. Would you mind doing two IDs for me? No, no problem at all. Okay. Like I mentioned initially, I have shows in English and shows in Spanish, so I'll just give you the name of each show, and if you could, just... Say your name, name of the band, and say you're listening to, uh, in this case, the English show is called Mars Attacks.
1: Mars Attacks, okay. Yeah. You ready? Yep. This is Kurt Winston from Crowbar, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
2: Excellent. And the shows that I do in Spanish are called Fusion Sonica.
1: Fusion Sonica, okay. Yeah. Hey, this is Kurt Winston of Down, Crowbar, and Kingdom of Sorrow, and you are listening to Fusion Sonica.
2: Perfect. One of the only people to nail that on the first try. Once I say Spanish, people start freaking out on me. So,
1: <laughs> Well, I can't read it, but I can pronounce it, you see. <laughs> Same thing with, with – uh, I've been to Germany so many times, I can actually read a, a review of a band and kind of make out what's going on. No
2: you know? kidding.
1: Well, wow. I mean, now I've been over there twenty-seven, twenty-eight times. <laughs> over to the UK tours now, and I mean, I've literally spent months, months of my life. When you add up all the days, you know, in Germany, I mean, one tour we did eighteen shows, you know, just in Germany. Uh, right. You know, but I mean, you know, like yeah, it's been, and I have a lot of good friends from there, you know, and and, and it's so little by little, I'm I'm picking up on a few <laughs> German things.
2: Cool. It's a shame that uh, here in Spain we don't have that same uh, that 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 same type of reception to metal or you know to have groups come in and play you know 18 shows. I, I mean I know you guys with Down played here last year I believe or the year before at a festival, yeah. but that's that's a th- that's the norm. You get a band to come in for a festival or maybe play. Madrid or barcelona and and that's all she wrote, you know yeah. but
1: uh I mean like we we had done we supported several turn and we had uh we had Hamlet on board who are from Spain,
2: yeah so yeah, was,
1: yeah yeah, I think we have great guys shout- shout out to Hamlet by the way um and uh you know great guys and and that, that was a really killing tour we did, I think we did three in Spain and one in Portugal, so that was cool because- I've been there with down, but I had never been there with kobar we we did. I didn't know what to expect, but the shows were, you know, we did quite well. I was really surprised. So I'm looking forward to getting Cromar over to to Spain and Portugal.
2: Hmm. Uh, So you think that there is a possibility you guys would play over here?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, when we do come, I want to hit everywhere. You know, I mean, it's like, fuck it. We'll just suck it up. We'll just do six weeks. I want to hit Scandinavia, all of Europe. You know, let's just do it.
2: Go the title track off of Sever the Wicked Hand by crowbar, and if you haven't heard the album yet, I definitely recommend it. It's one of the best releases that I've heard this year. I'm not just saying that because I absolutely love this interview. Uh, I truly mean that uh, this album reminds me a lot of the Danzig album that came out last year in the extent that you know I was like, all right, cool, another new crowbar album. You know what? What can you expect? Um, the band has put out a, a bunch of different things, and you know there are some tracks that are absolutely great, and there are others that you know, like any band, um, maybe fall short of your expectations or whatnot. This album is quite the opposite. It is really good from from beginning to end, and that's why I wanted to include this title track. And the first single, which I used to kick the episode off, which is Let Me Mourn. And again, they have such a uh, storied history uh, dating back to, you know, the beginning of the 90s. And there's a lot of good stuff mixed in there throughout all of the albums that they've put out. Uh, what we're probably going to do is end the episode with the Led Zeppelin cover that we had discussed during the interview That's what introduced me to Crowbar. I remember what it was to receive that CD and have everyone go absolutely wild saying, you got to check this out, man. It is so different to the original, and yet it is so unique and so, you know, so it, it stands on its own. You know, that's what's so cool about this. You have so many people that try to do, you know, a copy of, you know, a a classic track, and it falls so short because you're always going to go back to, you know, that original track. And and that's what Kirk mentioned during the interview. So, and I apologize if I've been pronouncing Kirk's name incorrect. I believe I may have said uh, Weinstein. I'm not sure if it's Winstein, but just throwing that out there. <laughs> um, in any event, want to thank... Kirk, once again, for coming on the show. Want to thank Bill over at E1 for hooking this whole thing up. Uh, He does a great job with all the artists over there. And my sincere apology to you, Bill, for not putting this out sooner. But again, just wanted to make sure that we got as much audience listening to this as possible. When I conducted this interview, there were interviews with Kirk left and right. And, um, you know, it almost oversaturates things and... It makes it difficult for people to pinpoint this specific interview and want to listen to it. So wanted to um just make sure that as much people got to listen to this and got turned on to the Crowbar album as possible. Uh so it uh, was also, as I mentioned during the interview, was their biggest first week seller of all time, which is surprising. A band that, that's been around this long, that this would be their biggest first week seller. But it really is no surprise because the album is really solid from start to finish. It has a lot of really good tracks on it. Uh, You know, I played two tracks off the album, the title track. I played the first single, Let Me Mourn, to kick things off. And uh, if you haven't listened to the album yet, hopefully this will drive you to wanting to listen to it, make you want to go out and purchase it, and if nothing else, go out onto iTunes and Purchase a a track or two. And uh, it it is definitely, you'll definitely get your money's worth. So, and again, not to blow smoke up anyone's ass, it isn't because I thoroughly enjoyed conducting this interview and putting this episode together. It really is what I feel and I do think it is one of the best albums to come out this year. So, uh, wrapping things up here, once again, check out Any of these episodes on MarsAttacksRadio.com. Also, check out the radio show, which is featured on MarkStriegelRadio.com. Stream A. That's a stream that I uh, sort of help program, and that's where you can find MarsAttacksRadio.com. New episodes uh, debut Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, We've been doing a few weeks' worth of shows you know, in one shot to make sure that we have as many new shows as possible up to uh, feed the demand that's out there, <laughs> per se. But uh, yeah, have a lot of fun doing that as well. Just just straight music, less jibber-jabber from my end. And uh want to also remind you that we have the Spanish language podcast, FusionSonica.com. And also the podcast where I play pretty much any type of music, Talk about TV, movies, wrestling, these hiccups that are coming on as I'm doing this episode, and so on and so forth. So check that out. You can find that on Victor M., as in Mary, (laughs) uh, Ruiz, R-U-I-Z, as in zebra, dot com. And, uh, yeah, so we have all that good stuff going on. If you have any type of feedback regarding the shows, feel free to send me an email, drop me a line. You could send that to input at marsattacksradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you subscribe up on iTunes, please leave your feedback there. So thanks again to Kirk for coming on. Thanks again to Bill from E1 Music. And thanks to you guys for listening. We're going to close things down with... The Led Zeppelin cover. The track is no quarter, but this is done by Crowbar. See you next time, right here on Mars Attacks Podcast.